Alright, this evening uh, we'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 1 uh, as we begin our study in Deuteronomy. Uh, the study from last time we were together, the introduction to Deuteronomy, uh, is out on Sermon Audio. Uh, if you would like to uh, find it there, if you haven't seen it previously, you weren't able to be with us last week. Uh, at that time we talked about uh, Deuteronomy being uh, uh, the second law, Deutero meaning second or two and namas uh, being the Greek word for law. And uh, so uh, the reason why, of course, there's this second giving of the law in the Pentateuch, uh, or the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, is because this is a new generation of Israelites who need to be initiated into the covenant that Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, made with the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And uh, so we talked a little bit last time about the importance of Deuteronomy in both uh, the Old Testament uh, and in the New Testament as well. It's quoted over 40 times in the New Testament. And ultimately, uh, I made the case that this uh, Deuteronomy is, is really a sermon. Uh, it's less of a writing and more of a transcribed sermon, uh, a little bit different from the Book of the Covenant, which we talked about last time in Exodus chapters 20 through 23. And so it has uh, some um, characteristics of a sermon or a word of exhortation. According to Hebrews chapter 13, there's lots of exhortations to obey, and, and uh, there are promises and warnings in addition to the law. So we begin Deuteronomy tonight in chapter 1, and the first uh, four chapters, really, of Deuteronomy are kind of going to be kind of a prologue, uh, and so we're just going to take on Deuteronomy chapter 1 tonight. We will jump back and forth a little bit uh, as, as the text leads us. So we begin in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah op opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb, which is also Sinai, by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And it came about in the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel, according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give to them, after he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth at Edrei. Across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying... So let's just stop there for a second, the first five verses. So um, as we talked a little bit about last time we were together, I also want to point out uh, chapter 1, verse 1, that we are emphasizing here in all of our studies, in all of our teaching, uh, and in all of our preaching at Abiding Grace Church, we emphasize the words. And you can see here, these are the words which Moses spoke. And so uh, incredibly important for us to pay attention to the details of the words. I also point out in verse 1 that we have a distinct place uh, where these words are being spoken by Moses. And then um, in verse 2, we have a time frame, 11 days uh, from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. And then in verse 3, we have a very specific time stamp for when these words of exhortation were given. And, and I point those out um, because so much of the contemporary argumentation against the 
um, the inspiration and veracity of the scriptures, especially when you go back to the early portions of Genesis, um, is that uh, it's mythology that Moses was not a real person. The Exodus never really happened. Uh, this is a much more common view than perhaps many of you realize, and I would simply point out here that the uh, place stamp and the time stamp here uh, in verse 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 1 uh, certainly does not lend itself uh, to mythology. Uh, these are real historical events, and I have said many times before, and I will say again, the fact that uh, the place is identified and the time stamp is identified should give us um, a great deal of confidence uh, in the specificity and clarity of the scriptures. So I, I, I just point out those details to you, commend them to you, um, in the hopes that you would be um, encouraged in the faith and in your belief that uh, what we have in front of us here is the inspired word of God. Verse 4, there's a discussion of the Israelites defeating Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. And uh, we'll see uh, some more details of that, Lord willing, next time we get together in chapters 2 and 3. So I'm not going to expound on that now. But here in verse 5, clearly they're across the Jordan River, so they're on the east side. All of the Israelites, uh, including Moses... Uh, are on the east side of the Jordan River in the land that is commonly called Moab. And they have been camping there for some time. And of course, uh, Moses is going to give uh, this final word of exhortation, and then he will die. And then, as we all know, the Israelites will then be led west across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua who replaces Moses as the leader of the Israelites. So we pick up in verse 6. The Lord Yahweh, our God, spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. And so, this uh, command from the Lord comes to us all the way back in Numbers chapter 10. So, the original intention uh, of uh, Yahweh was to lead the Israelites immediately from Mount Sinai after they had agreed to the Book of the Covenant. Of course, you remember there in um, the book of Exodus, there was the golden calf incident and there was the vision of the tabernacle. And so they were given a whole bunch of laws in Leviticus. And then in Numbers chapter 10, they were setting out uh, from the base of Mount Sinai and they were to go just not more than a few days journey, really, to be honest with you, just a couple of weeks maximum, even with that many people, straight into the southern portion of the land of Canaan, which God had promised to Abraham. And that's, uh, if you look in verse 7, that's what the Negev is. Even today, it's referred to as the Negev. That is the, the southernmost portion of the land of Canaan. And uh, they were going directly to Canaan for the purpose of conquest, to take it from the Canaanites as God had promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis 15. Now, speaking of Genesis 15, I would like you to keep your thumb there in Deuteronomy 1 and turn with me back to Genesis 15, one of the most important chapters, certainly in Genesis, arguably in the entire Bible. Genesis 15, I want to show you a couple of things there. 
So in Genesis 15, there is this great um, event where God cuts this covenant uh, with Abram, who uh, later would be called uh, Abraham. And one of the things that we see uh, in Genesis 15, we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, verse 7, uh, so if you go to Genesis 15, verse 18, on that day, so this is after the covenant cutting ceremony, on that day the Lord Yahweh made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants I have given this land, that is referring to Canaan, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadmonite and so on. And the point I want to make here is that in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 7, the river Euphrates is mentioned again. The land that God promised to give to Abraham and his descendants not only included Canaan, but it included the land of Moab on the east side of the Jordan River as well. And so we see that promise uh, spoken here again in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 7. And you can see here, verse 8, See, I have placed, Lord speaking, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. That promise is good. Abraham, as you know, was asleep during that covenant-cutting ceremony. The Lord himself was the only one who passed through the animals, and so he took the oath of the covenant upon himself, and so that promise was as good as fulfilled to Abraham. Verse 9, keep your finger in Genesis 15, verse 9 of Deuteronomy 1. And I, Moses speaking, I spoke to you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. I want to stop there, and back in Genesis chapter 15, at the beginning of Genesis 15, the very early portion, um, there's this interaction. So I'll begin in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. Verse 5. And he, God, took him, Abram, outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And so we see also these echoes of Genesis chapter 15 in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 10 as Moses is speaking to the Israelites the Lord your God has multiplied you and behold you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude and so I point these things out because it's important for us to understand this is all one narrative it's all one people and it's all about God and the promises that he has made to Abraham and his descendants and so it's important I think for us to tie together these texts. Verse 11, may the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are. This is Moses speaking to Israel in Numbers 10, and bless you just as he has promised you. How can I alone bear the load and burden uh, bear the load and burden of you and your strife. Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. 
and you answered me and said, The thing which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and of tens, and officers for your tribes. And so there were a couple of places uh, in the first uh, couple of books of the Old Testament uh, you remember Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came in Exodus 18 and gave Moses some advice about how he should not hear every particular case, but he should appoint other judges, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but then, of course, Moses is dealing mostly with the heads of the tribes themselves uh, throughout the Pentateuch, and we see that being recalled here in this early portion of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 1, verse 16, Moses still speaking. Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen, and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen, or the alien who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So these three verses, verses 16, 17, and 18, are extremely important as, as we set the stage for the rest of Deuteronomy. And why? Because Moses here in Deuteronomy 1, 16 through 18, is setting the standard for the Israelite judges prior to his giving the law beginning in chapter 5. He's setting the standard before he gives the law. And what is the standard? Okay, Verse 16. Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen or the alien who is with him. Right. So the, the standard that Moses is setting, verse 16, judge righteously. Verse 17. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. And this really is part of the definition of impartiality, right? We always talk about justice being blind. You see statues of the woman justice, and she's always wearing a blindfold because true justice is blind. It does not account for whether the people that are standing before you are rich or poor, or they are great, or they are poor, or, or small. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Just Those things have no bearing on righteous judgment. So, in anticipation of the re-giving of the law, beginning in Deuteronomy 5, Moses is setting the standard for the Israelite judges. Verse 17, you shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. And so, uh, were, it, were it always the case that men and women in black robes uh, in our country and in all countries, would remember that when they are passing judgment, they are not to fear man, but they are passing judgment before the standard and the bar of God. Verse 19, Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses speaking. Then we set out from Horeb, again, that's Sinai, and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God had commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. So they set out from Mount Horeb in Numbers chapter 10. 
and they arrive in Kadesh Barnea at the end of Numbers chapter 12. And Moses, of course, is reminding them that the wilderness through which the Lord had led them was great and terrible, and in that they should recognize the Lord's mercy. Verse 20, And I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So here we have the command um, as they reach the lowlands or the Negev of Canaan, they were to immediately go up and begin the conquest of Canaan, that first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt by way of the Exodus and also by way of Mount Sinai. Verse 22, and this is very interesting and we're going to dip back into an earlier book to look at this, but verse 22 Moses speaking, Then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may search out the land for us, and bring to us word of the way by which we should go up, and the cities which we shall enter. Verse 23, And the thing pleased me, and I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country, and came to the valley of Eskol, and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands, and brought it down to us. And they brought us back a report, and said, It is a good land, which the Lord our God is about to give to us. Now, if you would keep your finger in Deuteronomy 1, I would like to take you back to Numbers 13. And I want to show you an interesting contrast here in Numbers 13. So, in Deuteronomy 1, verse 22, Moses says to the Israelites, Then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may search out the land for us, and bring back to us word of the way which we should go. In Numbers 13, beginning verse 1, it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So it's interesting here that in Numbers chapter 13, it's the Lord who's giving the command to Moses to send the spies into Canaan. But in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses says that it was Israel's idea. Which one is it? Well, the answer is it could be both of them. It could be that in verse 22 of Deuteronomy 1, the Israelites approached Moses and said, Hey, we have an idea, right? I know God, we know God has told us to go up into Canaan and to conquer it. But we think we have a better idea. Let's send men before us. Let's to spy out the land and see what's there. Moses listens to the Israelites. He goes, he takes it, of course, into the tent of meeting, and the Lord gives Moses permission to send the spies into the land of Canaan. So, the Lord's giving permission to Moses is what is articulated in Numbers chapter 13. But we find out in Deuteronomy chapter 1 that the root of that desire, which, as we know, ultimately goes bad, but the root of that desire was the Israelites' Themselves, And we can see, beginning in verse 26 of Deuteronomy 1, where it goes bad. So Deuteronomy 1, verse 26, 
Moses says, Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. And so we see how this desire of the Israelites to get a sneak peek into Canaan goes bad on them in verses 26 through 28. And of course, what the spies go up to see, there were 12 spies sent into the land. Ten of them come back with this negative report. As you know, of course, Joshua and Caleb come back with a positive report. But ten of the 12 spies come back with a negative report. And you know, I think there's a lesson in here for us, if we could just stop and make some application very briefly. Um, I think back sometimes on, just to give you my own personal application, right? I was, I went to school after high school uh, for nine years. And looking back on that, it sounds like an extremely long time. And maybe if that would have been my original plan out of high school, perhaps I would have never started on that path, right? So there's a sense in which um, when we walk by faith in God, Uh, Sometimes, perhaps, like Abram and the call of Abram in Genesis 12, sometimes it's best not to know what's out there so far in front of us. And so we see the spies are sent into the land. It's the the Israelites' original idea, and they go and see these cities and these people, and all it does is breed fear and reticence and ultimately disobedience to the command of God to go into Canaan. Okay, so I think that it's interesting that distinction between what's going on in Deuteronomy 1 and Numbers 13 tells us something about what it means to walk by faith and to have God's word just be a light uh, to our path that's directly in front of us. Verse 29 of Deuteronomy 1, Moses speaking, Then I said to you, do not be shocked nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son in all the way which you have walked, until you came to this place. So there's this exhortation at the time. Moses is recounting his exhortation to, to, to not be fearful because of what they see, but to be faithful and to follow the commands of the Lord. And we see that in verse 32, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Moses says, but for all this, you did not trust the Lord your God. And really, all of our disobedience stems from lack of faith. I talked a little bit about this during the supper this past Sunday. Yes, the Mosaic Covenant is a covenant of works, but all of the disobedience of the Israelites stems from a lack of faith. And you can see that, for example, uh, in many places, even in the New Testament, in the Hebrews chapter 3, in Hebrews chapter 4, in 1 Corinthians 10, and so on, in many places, in Romans as well, Right? is that at the root of Israel's disobedience to the commands of God is lack of faith, is a manifestation of their unbelief. And of course, Paul uses that in 1 Corinthians 10, for example, to exhort us as the New Covenant, New Testament church to believe on God, to trust in God. Let us not be like the Israelites, for these things were written for our benefit. 
Verse 32 again, Moses speaking, But for all this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and cloud by day to show you the way which you should go. And of course, he's mentioning here in verse 33, this fire by night and cloud by day, right? And he had previously mentioned in verse 30 how God protected them from the Egyptians at the, at the, uh, the south side of the Red Sea. You remember, as they were coming out of Egypt as part of the Exodus, right? They come to the Red Sea and there's nowhere seemingly for them to go. And the Egyptian army under Pharaoh was following behind them. And so they got very afraid. And of course, if you remember that story from the book of Exodus, God, he protects them with a wall of fire and he leads them. He, he pushes the Red Sea and he makes the Israelites to cross through on dry ground. And, and, and God passes, um, he passes through after them to make sure that the Egyptians could not follow them directly. And God protects them but until they get to the other side of the Red Sea. And then the Egyptians follow. And, and the, the Red Sea closes up on the Egyptian army. And so God, from the very beginning of the Exodus, has been there. Fire by night, cloud by day, protecting them from the Egyptians, leading them through the wilderness. And yet, after all of this time, uh, which is about a year that they spend at Sinai, the Israelites still do not believe. Verse 34, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words. Okay, That's when they're at, in the Negev, in the lowlands of Canaan, and they choose not to go into the land of Canaan. This is what their reference is. Verse 34. Then the Lord, Yahweh, heard the sound of your words, and he was angry and took an oath, saying, Not one of these men... This evil generation shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his sons I will give the land on which he has set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. And so I want you to see here, if you turn back with me to Numbers chapter 14, we made the, the case um, in the book of Numbers that Numbers chapters 13 and 14 were the turning point of the book of Numbers. They were the turning point in the life of this generation of Israelites. And you can see in Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. This is extremely important. We will come back to it in a few moments. Numbers 14, verse 28. This is Yahweh speaking. I'll, I'll, I'll begin in verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Verse 28. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so surely I will do to you. Your corpses shall fall in this wilderness. And so, in verse 28, what I want to point out to you there is when Yahweh says, As I live, that is the oath that Moses is pointing out in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 34. God took an oath, saying, Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers. And in Numbers 14, verse 22, the reason was because they had put the Lord God to the test ten times. And God's patience ran out with that generation of Israelites. 
Verse 37, picking up, Moses says, The Lord Yahweh was angry with me also on your account, saying, Not even you shall enter there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good or evil, shall enter there. And I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn around and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. So we see here also Moses recounting the fact that he was also not allowed to go into the promised land. Uh, and that the story of that uh, is back in Numbers chapter 20, the waters at Mirabah. Right? So the leadership at that time uh, for the conquest passes from Moses to Joshua. And uh, we've made the case a couple of times here that theologically speaking, that was an extremely important transition in redemptive history. Okay, uh, Just briefly, I will say again, the reason why it's so important and right that Moses was not the one to lead the Israelites into the promised land teaches us that we will never gain the promises of God by the law, which is something that Paul teaches in the New Testament over and over and over again. Moses represents the law. And so by following Moses, we can never fulfill the promises of God. Instead, instead, we must follow Joshua, whose name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings grace. He supplants the law. And when we trust in him, when we trust in our Joshua, it is Jesus who leads us across the Jordan River into the promises of God. He must go first and we follow. And so that whole episode in Numbers chapter 20, if you want to go back and check that out on Sermon Audio, there's an extended discussion there of the theological importance of Moses not being allowed to enter into the land of Canaan. And of course in verse 39, uh, there's a recounting here from Numbers chapter 14. So these uh, the little ones that are being spoken of in verse 39 are now this new generation of Israelites that are standing on the cusp of the conquest of Canaan. And you can see that if you go back to Numbers chapter 14. It's that second generation of Israelites that is being referred to there. And then in verse 40, uh, the Lord commanded Moses to uh, basically take the Israelites away from Canaan. And they would do that for the next, they would go away from Canaan for the next 38 or 39 years. Now, verse 41 is very interesting because they're still in the Negev. And they are so disappointed, the Israelites are so disappointed that they decide that they themselves are going to make good on the promises of God. And that particular piece of narrative is summarized here, beginning in verse 41 of Deuteronomy 1. Moses says, speaking to the Israelites, Then you answered and said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will indeed go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every man of you girded on his weapons of war, and regarded it as easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up, nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. Verse 43, Moses says, I spoke to you, but you would not listen. 
Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously and went up into the hill country. And the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and crushed you from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days that you spent there. And so in this particular case, the Israelites realize that they had been disobedient, that they had been unfaithful to the Lord, and so they decide to take matters into their own hands, even against the warnings of Yahweh. And you can read this narrative back in Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 39. Uh, that is the narrative there, of course, Moses summarizing here. But again, this idea that we can, by our own power, fulfill the promises that the Lord has made to us. You can see verse 30, 43. This is rebellion against the Lord, and it's acting presumptuously. And we see in verse 42, if the Lord does not go with us, just as he did not go with the Israelites into the hill country, we will not succeed. And in fact, the Israelites were routed by the Amorites. Verse 45, this is very important, and we will finish up here this evening. Verse 45, Then you, Moses speaking to the Israelites, and he's talking primarily about the previous generation, their fathers, the Israelites who came out of Egypt. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, Okay? So there's clear repentance and sorrow here in verse 45. But the Lord Yahweh did not listen to your voice, nor give ear to you. And this is a very important idea. That not all tears are sorrows leading to godly repentance. We can see that in 1 Corinthians for example, there is a godly sorrow that leads to true repentance. Not all tears are true repentance. And, and for that, uh, as an illustration, I always use, there's a difference between Judas, who wept, and Peter, who wept. Judas was condemned. Peter was restored. So that is the clearest biblical application I know of, of the difference between a godly sorrow, which Peter had for his threefold betrayal of his Lord Jesus Christ, who was ultimately restored on the beach, as you can read about that in the Gospel of John. There's a difference between the godly sorrow leading to the repentance of Peter and the sorrow that was expressed by Judas, which led to suicide and condemnation. And then here in verse 45, it also says, But the Lord did not listen to your voice, nor give ear to you. And this is extremely important. We read also in Hebrews about Esau, who was not granted repentance. We should be very careful and very clear about this doctrine of repentance. And, and primarily, the reason why the Lord Yahweh did not listen to the voice of the Israelites did not give ear to them, was because, if you just look up a little bit, verse 34, the, the Lord, after hearing the grumbling of the Israelites, he was angry and he took an oath. The Lord took an oath that that generation of Israelites would not pass into Canaan. And so no amount of tears 
or sorrow was going to cause the Lord to reverse his decision because he had already made a pledge of himself. He said, as I live, right? So he takes an oath. And so there's no place for repentance for this generation of Israelites who had been unfaithful to the Lord 10 times, similar to the description of Esau in the, in the, the, uh, the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament as well. So this uh, Deuteronomy chapter one recounts Uh, the first year or so after the Exodus coming out of Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. As we pick up together next time, uh, the plan is to cover Deuteronomy 2 and 3, uh, where uh, we will pick up in Deuteronomy 2 38 years later. So there will be 38 years of wilderness wandering uh, under the leadership of Moses as um, the Lord and Moses himself await the death of that entire generation of Israelites, and we will pick up next time 38 years later uh, as the Israelites are once again uh, with this new generation moving toward Canaan and the conquest under Joshua.